0: All right, good morning, and I want to give a warm welcome to our interns for the teen internship. So we have 10 total teenagers that are taking part, and some from our own local ministry, but if you're here from Australia, or if you're local and you're participating in the teen internship, go ahead and stand up so we can get fired up to know that you're going to give us a big... Fair enough, they're going to inject some energy and some fire. They're going to take over. In a good way. So we're excited to have you here and excited to see what God's going to do this week. And the internship is going to cap off next Sunday with a team-led service. It's going to be awesome. So look forward to that. And later on this afternoon, we will have a baptism as Anna will be baptized. She's on her way to church right now, but at 2 p.m. at Akahu Bay, which is the bay right before Mission Bay. She'll be baptized there at 2 p.m. That's awesome. So uh, the cat ministry is continuing to grow. Very cool, isn't it? That's awesome. And also from Christchurch, our sister Maria, good to have you here, good to see you. And everybody else, it's so good to see everybody. So how many of you have ever watched any kind of like American Idol show or talent, America's Got Talent, something like that? Twice? The voice. the voice. Okay, and many of you might be ashamed to say you have watched it, but but Simon Cowell, y'all familiar with Simon Cowell, and so his responses always kind of make me laugh. I'm like, man, that guy is just bold. You know, so I, I YouTubed his responses, and, and you can they have clips of him responding to people who are trying to audition for this show, and, and some of the things he says are something like this. You know, there was a group of three girls that came on and they sang and and all the judges they, they kind of give mixed feedback. They said, you, you kinda did a couple things well, but here's some things you need to work on. He just said, You're one of the worst groups I've heard in my life. <laughs> and I thought, My goodness, but but you kind of think that when you hear it, but you don't say it. Yeah. Right? But he's bold enough to say things like that. And then after one contestant did his thing, he said, you know, the other judges share it, and he says, you should never get on the stage again like man it's so bold to make a statement like that and then the one of the last ones was that didn't even sound human and I just thought man he's so bold in the way that he responds and and I thought man you know but oftentimes we think those things to, to say things that plainly or that boldly, yet we don't. And some, some, for, some, for some time that's good reason, you know, right? But there is something inside of us that, that hears or wants to say something that should be said, needs to be said, ought to be said, but we shrink back. And so this passage today has a lot to tell us concerning the idea of being bold, not in a way that Simon Cowell is bold, but boldness for the gospel and boldness in our relationships with one another. So if you have a Bible, turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we'll say a prayer and then we'll dive in starting in verse 7 and read the entire chapter 3 and chapter 4 and then talk about these three points about being bold this morning. Let's pray together and then we'll start reading. Father, we are grateful to come together and take communion and be able to um, reflect on Jesus. And we pray that the words that are in the scriptures... um, Whatever they meant to that original audience, I pray that it'll come to life for us this morning as the spirit opens our minds and hearts. Thank you for all that you do for us. Help the internship to be fruitful. Help everyone to really bond together in a very special way. Help them to see you in a unique way. Help them to impact our church and those here in this city and help whatever they learn to take back to their own ministries, God, and, and really just help us to really support, encourage, and look to them as a model of, of youth and of energy and zeal. And we're also grateful to see Anna get baptized today as well. Father, we pray all this in in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 7. Read quite a bit and then look at three points. Let's read together starting in verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters in stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, there's Paul doing his little rhyming there for you, John Watson, transitory came with glory. How much greater is the glory of that which lasts in verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, but to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. So this is to a Jewish audience in the synagogues. When they're still reading the Old Testament, they haven't embraced Christ, their minds are dull, the veil is still there. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, meaning me, the apostles, and you, Corinthian church, and us, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, since through God's mercy, we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed In the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Amen. Though outwardly we are wasting away inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all so we fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen since what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal Phenomenal passage here, but and it's off. You've probably heard a lot of bits and pieces of this, but it's helpful to understand the context to really bring it to life because Paul is really keying in on this idea of being bold. And so if you remember from from last week, second Corinthians chapter two, verse 12 and 13, Paul talks about going to Troas. And when I went to preach the gospel and found the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. And then if you were to jump ahead to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5, for when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. So there's a, th- there's a three or four chapter tangent that he goes on, and then it stitches back together in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. Now, I don't know about you, but most of the time when people go on tangents, I kind of tune out. Because they're just iller- irrelevant and annoying to me. But whenever you hear a tangent in the Bible, there's always something insightful. And so there's something inside of this spiritual tangent that Paul wants us to hear that really relates to the idea of being bold. And why is that? Because... Remember, they looked at Paul's life and they saw him kind of suffering and weak and always in turmoil. And then he writes this really bold letter to them and challenges them on their Christian life. And they look at Paul and say, Really, how can you, of all people, be so bold to us? You're suffering, you're not victorious, you're always struggling. How can you be so bold? And so these three or four chapters give us the insight on, well, it's not about anything about me. I'll tell you why I can be bold. And from that come our three points this morning. And it's it's important to know about the word bold because most of us might think somebody standing on a stage with a megaphone shouting and being loud and obnoxious or doing something radical. That's bold. What the Greek word means, parisia, is being frank in your speech. Being plain. Not beating around the bush. Not concealing anything. Just straight shooting. Bold. In your speech because he wrote a letter to them that was very bold very plain and they say how can you be like that Paul so let's look at these three points the basis for boldness speak boldly and boldly receive in verse 12 this is the basis of Paul's boldness of our boldness and for anyone that follows Christ verse 12 of chapter 3 therefore since we have such a hope we are very bold remember this is is the issue they're trying to to pick with about Paul. Why are you so bold? Well, I'll tell you. First of all, if you look at Moses' ministry, verse 7 through 18, it was glorious. It was awesome. And as a Jew, you would have thought, Moses is this high arching figure. And so they associate anything great in the Old Testament, they normally associate it with Moses. He's the great figure of the Old Testament. His ministry was great. And Paul says, think about how great his ministry was. But it was transitory, it was temporary, it only resulted in death, but it was still a glorious ministry. Now what we have is far superior to that of Moses. What we have is permanent, it's long lasting, and it brings life. I mean, he's using this kind of rabbi logic. If this is true about this, then this certainly is true about this. We have a far superior ministry. And 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 on that basis, I can be bold. And so this would have resonated with the Jewish mind, right? This this concept of, oh, that's true. Moses, his ministry was pretty glorious, but it was temporary. The ministry of the Spirit, the life-giving Spirit, far more glorious, far more superior. Therefore, I can be more bold, I can speak more plainly. I can speak more frankly. I can speak more openly because of this far superior ministry. That resonates with the Jews, and that all makes sense, right? But to us who don't really have that Jewish background, that may not make a big difference. But what does make a difference is in chapter 4, verse 2. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not... Use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth, by setting forth the truth, plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Now, this idea of truth would have resonated more with Gentiles, and it resonates more with me and probably today in our society as well. Now, when you hear the word truth, there's a lot of versions of it. And in today's culture and society, everybody has their own version of truth. Now, truth in this sense, and even in the Greek culture, the word eletheia meant what what corresponds to reality. Not what you prefer. Big difference. The Greek word of truth is what corresponds to reality. And so if I know something and it corresponds to reality... I could be more bold about speaking about that matter. Not just what I prefer, but if I say if everyone were to stand up and jump up, I guarantee you'll come back down. (coughs) Because gravity corresponds to reality. I could be very bold when I talk about that. So that's his, but we set forth the truth plainly. But later on in verse 7, he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that it's from God and not us. So they're thinking, oh, Paul's full of himself. And he says, no, 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 I'm not. The, the ministry we have is, is far superior. Plus, what we believe, what we teach corresponds to reality. And it's not from me. It's from God. So I can't be bold and it all points to God. I'm just a jar of clay and and you can see I'm pressured from every side and I'm weak and I'm perplexed, but I'm never down and out because it all comes from God. That's why I can write to you so boldly, so frankly, and so firmly because of this this new ministry plus this idea of truth. And I don't want us to miss out on the implications of this idea of truth. Because it impacts you as you go out into the world, Monday through Friday. And when we come together, we get re-energized, we take communion. But when you go out there in the world, they don't subscribe to this version of truth. It's very important for us to lock into this. When you become a Christian, you're not just subscribing to a self-improvement or preferred lifestyle. You are aligning with what is the real version of reality. And so you start to adopt your life to what is actually true, (coughs) as life as it really is. So it's not just like, oh, I became a Christian because I was a bad guy and I, I needed Jesus and I needed forgiveness. That's all true. But as you start to understand it, I'm actually adopting my life to what corresponds to reality, to what is true. Life as it really is. For instance, when you witness an accident and when police come on the scene, what do they try to find out? What happened? What is the actual version of reality? And the eyewitnesses can say, well, the black car in the front was stopped and trying to turn. The guy in the blue car was distracted by his phone didn't see the black car, and ran into the black car. That's the version of what really happened. That corresponds to reality. But the guy in the blue car can say, well, the black car just suddenly stopped and I ran into him. That might be his version, but that's not what really happened. That doesn't correspond to reality. So there's, there's always this idea of truth that was it with, within our reach. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so that makes sense here. And also, think about this. If you have a bank account, that's, that's Pete Nesbitt with his haircut on the left with the goatee. And, and when you go to the bank and you say, how much money is in my account? And they say, negative 200. It's not at that point where you say, well... I prefer to think of it as plus 2,000. That doesn't correspond to reality. And you can argue however you want, but what corresponds to life as it really is is there's negative 200 in the bank. No matter what you think, no matter what you prefer to think, the truth of the matter is that's the facts, right? So, but this idea shows up in all areas of life where there's a version of truth that corresponds to reality. Okay, and if and if you don't subscribe to it, you're just rebellious or arrogant or confused or your mind's been darkened, and and in those two situations, we would say that oh my my goodness, and, but every time I go to the doctor or any of us go to the doctor and they take blood tests and they say this is what the blood tests reveal, you don't say, well I prefer to think of it as. <laughs> Nobody would say, I mean, you can say that, right? But it doesn't correspond to reality. If you go to the mechanic and they say, your brake pads are really, really thin. Let me show you. You can't say, well, I prefer to think of it as, I love thin brake pads. You know, whatever doesn't, that doesn't make sense. And so what we do, we become Christian. It's not just, oh, I think this is a good story. It's like, wow, this is actually true. This represents reality. Yeah. So when you think of it like that, it becomes, we don't have to, we don't have to appeal. We just put forth the truth plainly. And if people subscribe, amen. So one of the views, the way this really is relevant in today's society is here's Richard Dawkins. He's this famous atheist. All right. And here's a quote from him that really kind of highlights what they believe. Anybody that believes in, in no God, in a universe of blind physical forces and generic replication, some people are going to get hurt, others are going to get l- lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason to it, nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at the bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. In other words, nothing matters. There's no evil, no good. That's the the version of truth atheists subscribe to. And so does that correspond to reality? Well, I don't believe it does. Because he's saying there's no purpose, no evil, and no good. But I I, I guarantee you go out on the street and, and you ask anybody, is something wrong with the world today? What would they say? Well, flat out, of course there is. It's, it's atrocious. There's evil all over the place. So this doesn't even come close to corresponding to reality. He's just saying nothing matters. There's no evil. But most anybody would say there's something wrong in the world. That doesn't correspond to reality. And it's no purpose. That would mean it doesn't matter what you do. You can be a supermarket clerk. You can be a stockbroker. Or you can be a slave trader. Now, do we all think those are all the same? I don't think so. That doesn't correspond to reality. And so when we become Christian, we're actually... The the Bible has a story that says God created everything. And we messed it up. That's why there's a problem. Jesus comes to fix it. That's the solution. And eventually he'll restore everything. That's the end of the story. But atheism doesn't correspond to what we actually see in life. And this is helpful because this is what our world believes. And you'll encounter it in your workplace. You'll encounter it at the university. You'll encounter it from your neighbors. You'll encounter it from the shows you watch. It does not correspond to reality. On the other end of the spectrum, there's this new age. Kind of it overlaps Hinduism and Buddhism. Deepak Chopra, ultimately, all is as it should be. And this version says, you're God, I'm God, everybody's a God, everything is God. That's that's that version. All right? That doesn't... All you need is enlightenment. And it may take several lifetimes to achieve that. But all you need is enlightenment. That version doesn't correspond to reality either. That that, that means there's nobody else I can appeal to. It just happens. No, there's... Every sin that I commit, I must suffer for it. There's no forgiveness, no grace, no mercy. But... That, and good and bad are just simply illusions. That's that, that's that version of reality, but it doesn't match what we really see. And so when you, when, when you go out and share your faith, it's not like you're trying, let me, let me try to persuade you. It's just, let me tell you the flat out truth. God created everything, we messed it up, Jesus fixes it, and it'll all be good in the end. That's the version that everything fits together in. These other versions, all those pieces don't fit together in. And so what does this mean? This means since we have this great ministry, since what we believe aligns with truth, we can speak boldly. You and I can speak boldly. And that's awesome. Praise God for that. Several times he says that over and over in this passage. We are very bold. We are very bold. But here's where it happens in our everyday lives. When we apply this concept. So this week on the teen internship, you guys will, what is happening here? Let me be bold. Ah, that's the basis of boldness. Amen. Point number two, got ahead of myself, got ahead of myself is speak boldly. There's the bank, there's Pete Nesbitt. There it is. Speak boldly. So the idea of... That, that's the basis. We have a greater ministry and it aligns with truth, right? So now we know, okay, amen. We have a great ministry that aligns with truth. Now we can actually speak boldly. And that's what he talks about in verse 12 through 18. He says, look, we're not like Moses who veiled his face. We don't veil our faces. We speak plainly. We speak boldly. Plus our worldview has changed. Verse 2 of chapter 4. Because we believe... In truth, we've renounced secret and shameful ways. We don't use deception or distort the word of God, but we set forth the truth plainly. When you're not fully convinced of something, you're tempted to distort it or be secretive or be ashamed of it. But when you think, man, this is true, whether you you like it or not doesn't really impact me. You don't have to be secretive. You don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to distort it. You don't have to do any of that. You just put forth the truth plainly. And that's what Paul is talking about here. And several times throughout this letter, he says this. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 6. We commend ourselves in every way, in purity, understanding, patience, kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in sincere love, and in truthful speech. We always speak to you plainly. We always speak to you boldly. We always speak to you frankly. Second Corinthians 7, verse 17. But just as we have said, but just as everything we said to you was true... It lined up with reality, so our boasting about you, Titus, has proved to be true as well. Look, this ministry is great, the content of what we believe is true, that's why we speak truthfully to you. We speak boldly, we're very bold. And this is the way Jesus and the apostles were. I love this passage, John 18, Jesus is being questioned, he's on trial. And they're trying to find false evidence. John 18, verse 20 to 21. He says, I have spoken openly. Same Greek word in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4. Bold. I spoke openly. I spoke plainly. I spoke boldly in the synagogues. You want to know what I teach? Go ask the people that heard me. I didn't, I wasn't secretive. I wasn't ashamed. I wasn't ambiguous. I spoke boldly. Go ask them. That's Jesus' response when they're trying to question him. Surely they know what I've said. And you see this same exact concept with Peter. When they saw the courage, same word, parisial. When they saw the boldness of Peter, they took note. I mean, Peter's speaking plainly. He's speaking boldly. And he's an ordinary man. They said, this guy's been with Jesus. That's why he speaks as he does. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. I have spoken to you with great frankness. So over and over again, Paul is saying, that's why I'm like that. That all makes sense. Yeah. Imagine you were an employee, right? And the company you work for was going to cut back and make some redundancies and they were going to let go a lot of staff. And so your boss and yourself are not on good terms. Hopefully this is not described in a real scenario. This is all hypothetical. <laughs> Your boss is not on good terms, and he calls you in, and he says, look, I want you to give me an honest appraisal of my leadership, and I want you to tell me what's good and what's bad, And, and the truth of the matter is, your boss is a poor leader, and now you're in this interview as they're considering making cutbacks, and he says, go ahead, appraise my leadership. How confident would you be to say, well, you're flat out miserable, knowing they're about to make cutbacks, right? And you might not have your job. But in the same scenario, suppose the same thing is happening, but you've already interviewed with another company. You've already gotten a job. You've gotten an increase in salary. And the new employer you'll be working for actually bought out that company, and you'll be the boss of your old boss. Okay, and the same scenario happens. And he comes in and says, give me an honest appraisal. Of my He said, so, well, I've been waiting for this moment all my life. <laughs> You'd be very bold. You'd speak plainly. You'd speak frankly. Paul is saying that's what we have in Christ. Why do we shrink back? Why do we shrink back? And, and, and so we, we see this. This is the kind of boldness we should have proclaiming the gospel. This is the kind of boldness we should have when speaking to one another. Not like you're going to be working for me, but the, the boldness idea behind that, right? During this internship, when you go to the university teams, you'll be tempted, let me come up with a slick intro. And I I, I think anybody who's shared their faith tries to say, what, how am I going to open it up? Um, hey, are you, what are you doing? Like when you're in the gym, well, what do you think I'm doing? I'm working out. You know, like. You, you, uh, hey, you, I don't. Doesn't matter your intro. Doesn't matter what you say. To some degree, it's just, hey, you know what? Are you interested in studying the Bible? That's pretty bold. That's pretty plain. Are you interested in learning how to follow Jesus? That's all you really need to say. Yes or no. It doesn't. It not Let me let me craft some thoughtful, artful, poetic. Yeah, that's good. But just be bold and plain. It works. That's what you see Jesus doing. That's what you see the apostles doing. As we grow close, when we study the Bible with people, there's times where we need to tell them things that God would want to tell them from the Scripture. The life doesn't match the Bible, and there's a temptation to be ashamed. of Jesus is calling you to a, a, a better life, he's calling you to a different lifestyle, there's always a, a temptation to shrink back. But because we have this ministry, because what we believe is true, we can be bold. Now, we need to be sensitive when we are bold. We need to be wise when we are bold. But we can't give up the fact of saying, you've got to give up your selfish lifestyle in order to follow Jesus. We can't shrink back from that. We have to be bold. And in our relationships with one another, and I and I find that, you know, the, I love many, many aspects of the, of the Kiwi culture, but one is... They don't have a strength sometimes in speaking plainly What it needs to be spoken plainly. All right? And I'm not talking about just matters that are irrelevant. I'm talking about on spiritual matters. Beating around a bush or trying to figure out a way to say it. You could be bold and you could be plain and you can say things with sensitivity and empathy. But Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth that sent them into a frenzy. Because he said, you've got to change the ways what you're doing is wrong. And I think that sometimes we as a church need to say things to one another that are very bold, very loving, but very plain. For instance, if people are not tied in, into the fellowship, you need to have a conversation and say, you know, I've noticed you've been more affectionate with the world or something else than God and the church. And you don't have to get up and be angry and, and say it harshly, but I, I think you're more connected to the world. On, I think your affections are elsewhere. That's a very plain statement, but it's loving. But sometimes we have a hard time saying those simple things. Sometimes when people don't get advice, we try to craft some some clever way to tell them that, but you could just say, you know what? You don't make godly decisions. Yeah. You make your decisions on on emotion and feelings. Come on, Dave. And you need to get advice. Yeah. From God's word, from godly people. We can say those kinds of things boldly and plainly. For those that are religious, because we all get tempted to get religious. And and here's the danger, and this, this one is a stinger. For those that are religious, you'll make twice a son of hell as you are when you try to convert somebody. That's what Jesus said. Think about it. If you have this religious spirit about you and you're trying to help somebody and you don't realize that you have a religious spirit, you're going to make twice a son of hell as you are. That means the religious spirit just increases and grows in its hardness. And and if we notice that, hey, I think you're getting too religious, be bold with people. I think you have a religious spirit about you. You got to change that. And it's not about flattering each other or or trying to make each other feel bad. It's just about speaking boldly and plainly because we love one another. Amen? We know the gospel is a glorious ministry. We know it's true from now and all eternity. Let's speak boldly to one another. Amen? Lastly, you got to speak boldly, but you also got to take and receive boldly. I'm going out of here and I'm going to say some things today. (laughs) Right? Or you might get things said to you today. Right? So you got to have both ways. And so look in chapter 3, verse 18. Is this the last point? Chapter 3, and we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is awesome. The veil has been stripped, removed, taken away. When Moses spoke to Israel, he wore this veil. He didn't want them to see this is temporary and fading. Now, Paul says, that's been stripped. We can look directly at the image of Jesus. We can absorb direct sunlight, and we can take it. And what that does is it transforms us with ever-increasing glory as we behold Christ. So the more we gaze at Christ, the more we look straight at the Bible, the more we take this input, the more we get transformed. Because everything has been stripped away. In other words, when you encounter God in His Spirit, you don't walk away not transformed. Something happens. Something happens. And the Bible says, in this, in this verse, verse 4, now we can speak boldly, that doesn't mean everybody's going to take it, because the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that not, so they can't see the light. When the Gospel is proclaimed those that are blinded get harder and they get more rebellious because there's this evil influence blinding their minds but those of us who can absorb the full radiance of God, it changes us and transforms us so it's the same agent, the gospel message, doing two different things simultaneously And it's not like we just automatically become more spiritual. We develop some spiritual disciplines. But we need to receive, first of all, we need to receive God's transforming power boldly. God is trying to reach deep into the crevices of your life, transforming you and me and us. Let that happen through the Bible, through the spirit, through the word of God. But it also happens in the fellowship. Like Paul wrote to Corinth and wrote him a bold letter. And they had to receive it boldly. At first they were hurt but eventually they turned around the same agent the sun hardens clay in the desert and melts snow in the polar ice caps that's the same thing with the gospel you don't have to distort it or twist it or be or secretive or make a great appeal with it put the truth forth plainly some people it'll just conti- they'll just continue to harden Why? Because the God of this age is blind. Satan has taken away the the seed. He's helping them think about other things. And they, they can't see it. And they won't until they just surrender. But if you put forth the truth to a believer, the snow melts, it starts to transform. And they become more and more like Christ. This is very positive. We can receive direct sunlight now. Because of this new ministry. You can absorb the full impact of Jesus in your life. The trajectory of your Christian life can change over time. You can be more bold. You can be more powerful. You can be more pure. You can be all of these Christian qualities because you have the spirit dwelling inside of you. But the challenge is, can you take a firm challenge on the chin when it's needed? Because I think sometimes we get too delicate And when someone challenges, and I'm not saying you know, this is one tool of many in the tool belt. Paul didn't walk around challenging people. He's he's crying for these people, he's weeping for these people, he loves these people, but occasionally he gives them a firm hit on the chin and says, I gotta say something to you boldly. And you gotta receive it boldly because you got this you got we all have this life giving spirit that transforms us. Don't be too delicate. Don't be too delicate. Perhaps God is wanting to speak to you. Perhaps God is wanting to transform you. And if you're too delicate, you'll miss out on that opportunity. I don't want any of us to be like Simon Cowell, but I want all of us to be like Jesus. Amen. I want all of us to be like the Apostle Paul. I want all of us to be like the Apostles. Since we have a basis for being so bold, let us speak boldly. We know this ministry is greater. We know this corresponds to truth. Let us speak boldly. Let us preach the gospel boldly. Let us speak boldly to one another and let this transformation continue in this age until we all finally meet Jesus in His full glory. Amen.